Well, being Shavuot, we do have some traditions uh, that we uh, remember on this holiday. Uh, because it is the celebration of the receiving of the Torah, it's customary to read the Ten Commandments. And it's also customary to read a particular poem uh, before we read the Ten Commandments. It's called Akdamut, which means introduction. And the poem is a introduction to saying the Ten Commandments. And I'm just going to read the very beginning of it, just the first few lines of it. Before I begin to read his words, I will ask permission of the one whose might is such that even if all of heaven were parchment and all the reeds pens and all the oceans ink and all the people were scribes, it would be impossible to record the greatness of the creator who created the world with a soft utterance. I just love the beginning of that. Uh, I'm going to read a portion of that again, I think. I will ask permission of the one whose might is such that even if all of the heavens were parchments and all the reeds pens and all of the oceans ink and all the people were scribes, it would be impossible to record the greatness of the creator who created the world with a soft utterance. Certainly reminds us of the greatness of the God. And now the Ten Commandments. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but show loving kindness to those who to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Shabbat, is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. 
And so on Shavuot, we remember the giving of the Ten Commandments. We remember the great uh, uh, moment on Mount Sinai of receiving the covenant, uh, as we read in the Bible. Uh, it was at Mount Sinai uh, that we as a nation, Israel as a nation, uh, entered into covenant relationship uh, to be a, uh, uh, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And now reading number two on Shavuot as a Messianic Jewish community, we remember the uh, receiving of the Ruach HaKodesh, not only the Torah, but the receiving of the Holy Spirit uh, that we read about in the second chapter of Acts. When Yeshua, after 40 days after his resurrection, ascended to the right hand of the Father, 10 days later, he poured out the Ruach uh, and the new covenant was enacted. Uh, or inaugurated. Uh, and uh, so really Shavuot is about covenant relationship. It's about the receiving of a covenant relationship at Sinai. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, at the moment when the Ruach was poured out. And so we read, when the day of Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all of uh, humanity. And so that is our second reading uh, from uh, the book of Acts. And we remember the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh. Well, since it is a Shavuot, I thought uh, that we would talk a little bit today about the holiday, about what it means, and, and a great lesson uh, for us. Really, there are three meanings to Shavuot. There is an agricultural meaning, there's a historical meaning, and there's an eschatological or end time uh, meaning. We read about the holiday in Leviticus chapter 23. In Leviticus chapter 23, beginning here in verse uh, 15. You shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread. For a wave offering made of two tenths of an ephah, they shall be a fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Along with the bread, you shall present seven one-year-old male lambs without defect, and a bull of the herd, and two rams. They are to be a burnt offering to the Lord, with their grain offering and their libations, an offering by fire of soothing aroma to the Lord. You shall also offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs 
one year old for a sacrifice of peace offerings. The priest shall then wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering with two lambs before the Lord. They are to be holy to the Lord for the priest. On this same day, you shall make a proclamation as well. You are to have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It is to be a perpetual statute in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And then I'm going to read one more verse. When you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and the alien. I am the Lord your God. So we see here that this holiday takes place after the Feast of First Fruits, which is right around Passover time. And so it says, you shall count from the day after the Sabbath when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering. That was the first fruits. That was the barley harvest. There shall be seven complete Sabbaths. That makes for 49 days. Then it says, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. So that is traditional, what we call today the counting of the Omer. And we're familiar with that. Of course, uh, this year we counted 50 days and we read from Genesis through 2 Kings. Uh, and I sent out a little darash every other, just about every other day, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, sort of to keep us going and to learn some new things. And I hope that it was a fulfilling uh, experience for you. And now that you have completed it, uh, you are going to receive two books from me, a book called The Unseen Realm and The Unseen Real. Uh, and I hope that you'll uh, enjoy them. The Unseen Real has to do with the ascension of the Messiah. The Unseen Realm has to do with the entire unseen, invisible world uh, that we've been talking about. There's the seen world and the unseen world. And so this second book is about, it's called The Unseen Realm. Uh, and you'll just get in touch with Valerie here at Beth Messiah, and uh, we'll make sure that uh, you get uh, those books as a gift uh, from uh, me. Uh, and so uh, every year we count the Omer, 50 days, uh, and that's what it says right here, counting 50 days. So at the end of 50 days, back in ancient times, it was an agricultural holiday. Uh, and at the end of uh, 50 days, uh, it would be a time for the late spring harvest, a new grain offering. It was a wheat offering. And as it says here, they would bring two loaves baked with leaven. Uh, and it was, again, a celebration of the spring uh, grain harvest. Uh, but it also had another meaning. It was really the end of the Passover season, one might say, because of the counting of 50 days, it connected Passover First fruits, unleavened bread, and Shavuot is kind of one big long uh, event. Uh, and then traditionally, uh, the holiday is a celebration of the redemption out of Egypt uh, and a, an arrival and receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. So we can see the parallel there. Of course, the holiday of Passover is the celebration of leaving Egypt, right? Uh, and 50 days uh, later, after the celebration of Passover in the land, would be this harvest uh, of, of thankfulness. Uh, but we can see the parallel to leaving Egypt and getting to Mount Sinai. 
Uh, and so uh, from time immemorial, this has been both an agricultural holiday uh, and it has also been a holiday uh, of uh, receiving the Torah, of entering into covenant relationship uh, with God. That's the traditional meaning in the synagogue today. And then as Messiah followers, we add another layer to this. Uh, it is a celebration uh, of the what we might call the finished work of Messiah, the death, resurrection, ascension, and pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. That's why in Acts chapter 2, the holiday is called Pentecost. That's a Jewish holiday. And that's why so many Jewish people were gathered in Jerusalem. And the symmetry uh, of it is, is really beautiful, of uh, receiving the Torah, receiving the Ruach, uh, receiving uh, the Word of God uh, in covenant relationship, receiving the Holy Spirit, who empowers us uh, to live out uh, the, uh, the Torah. Uh, and so it is a marvelous holiday. It is a tremendously important uh, day for us. And there are some traditions that we need to be aware of, uh, some cultural traditions. Probably the most famous tradition on Shavuot is uh, eating sweet dairy products like cheesecake uh, or blintzes, things of that nature. And the reason we do that is a celebration of the land, a celebration of harvest, a celebration of all that the land uh, provides. Uh, and so the reason that we uh, uh, eat sweet dairy is to remember that Israel is the land of milk and honey. The land of milk and honey. Uh, and uh, so we have that tradition. There's also a tradition of reading the book of Ruth. We read the book of Ruth for two reasons. One is uh, because uh, it is uh, an agricultural type of setting in the book of Ruth, but also it has something to do with King David's ancestry and his uh, line there. In, and so therefore we read the book of Ruth. Traditionally, a synagogue would be decorated with flowers and, and, and the like. Uh, and, uh, and of course, reading the Ten Commandments, the Akdamut uh, poem, uh, and uh, then a remembrance of uh, the receiving of the Torah. Uh, and so that's how we celebrate uh, Shavuot. And so we see here uh, in the text uh, the agricultural uh, meaning uh, and how important it is for us to remember the historical meaning of receiving the Torah uh, and then, of course, uh, receiving the Ruach. Uh, now, it's interesting that uh, the, the Haftorah portion that we read on the second day of uh, Shavuot uh, is from Habakkuk, Habakkuk uh, chapter 3. And the reason that we read Habakkuk chapter 3 on this day uh, is because Habakkuk is remembering uh, the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, and it makes a difference in his life. And that's why I thought we would talk about that, because I want us not only to understand the holiday, but to say, you know, what what does it mean to us? Uh, uh, what does it mean to us in our, in our, in our everyday life to celebrate a Shavuot? 
and, and to remember this. So in the, in the uh, receiving of the Torah, we're remembering, uh, in a sense, it's almost like a wedding. Uh, and the, uh, the Torah is kind of like a ketubah, uh, like a marriage certificate. Uh, it binds us to God. Uh, when we uh, engage in living for him and doing mitzvot, God is in the mitzvot, we might say. And that as we engage in living a Torah way of life, God is in the midst of it. As Messiah followers, we know that in the pouring out of the Ruach, he dwells within us. You know, I think of John uh, chapter 1 in verse 17, where we read, The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Messiah Yeshua. So the, the Torah was given uh, through Moses. Moses uh, brought it down, right? But in Yeshua, the Torah is realized uh, in, in, in him. And so through the Ruach, we have, as we've been saying, an organic, dynamic identity in Messiah Yeshua. And so he dwells within us. His word dwells uh, within us. Uh, and uh, we have a new life in him. And we've been talking over the last number of weeks about seating, being seated with him in heavenly places, in his ascension, and what it means to us to live in humility, to know that he never leaves us or forsakes us, uh, to know that uh, we are protected by him, to know he is our king, uh, and as we said last week, to remember the vocation of priesthood, our priestly vocation of, of intercession, uh, that we join with Messiah Yeshua. And so we could say that on Shavuot, we celebrate the inauguration of that, the inauguration of the new covenant, of having the assurance of forgiveness of sins, uh, the assurance of relationship with God, and empowerment uh, to live a godly life. Uh, and so on Shavuot, we remember that. Uh, but, you know, uh, all of the other days of the year, sometimes it can be difficult to remember all of those things. So I thought we would take a look at the prophet Habakkuk. Uh, he were, here was a person that remembered Mount Sinai, uh, a person that identified with, obviously he was a prophet of Israel, identified with the Torah, identified with that covenant at Sinai, yet he himself had kind of a crisis moment in his life, which I think that we might be able to uh, identify with. So I thought that we would talk about that today. If you received uh, our Darash that we send out, uh, we talked about it there as well. Uh, so maybe you're already a little bit, uh, you're, maybe you're already a little bit familiar with it. So the prophet Habakkuk is very interesting. Uh, first, you know, it's more of a diary than it is a prophecy. It's really the personal experience of Habakkuk uh, and God. At the beginning of the book, he cries out, How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? And so he sees that inwardly there's a lot of sinfulness in the land, the people are not really living uh, in their covenant relationship. And at the same time, there are external threats 
coming, uh, you know, from the outside, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, the Assyrians, right? So both inwardly and outwardly, uh, there is a crisis. We could say there is a moral and ethical crisis within, and there is a foreign crisis uh, with uh, enemies knocking at the door. Uh, and so Habakkuk is in distress. He says, where are you, God? I see all this happening, and I don't know where you where you are. And if you're familiar with it, God and Habakkuk go back and forth. Uh, and uh, Habakkuk does not understand uh, what God is doing or why God is doing it. God says, I'm going to take the enemies. I'm going to take the Babylonians, and I'm going to use them to, to judge Israel, to chastise Israel. And Habakkuk says, I, I don't understand how you could do something like that. These are the these are ungodly, pagan, horrible people, and you're going to use them to judge us, right? Uh, and, and so he really does not understand, and he's very frustrated. And uh, as I wrote in the Darash, the real sense of his frustration was that it seemed like God was absent. It seemed like terrible things were happening and God was not around. Now, here was a man who was in covenant relationship with God. Here was a man who was a prophet. You know, some people believe that he was actually a priest uh, because just of the sense of this book, it seems more like wisdom literature uh, than it does like a, a prophecy. So nobody knows for sure. But here was a godly man who was in distress. So the first thing we need to understand on Shavuot is as we remember the outpouring of the Ruach, as we know that we're filled with the Spirit of God, as we know we're in new covenant relationship with God, sometimes it can feel like God isn't even present. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're in distress, you know, about a variety of different things. It could be many different things. But maybe you're wondering where God is. And so we want to look and see how Habakkuk resolved this so that we can resolve it as well and see what his secret was uh, here in the book of Habakkuk. Well, when we come to the second chapter of Habakkuk, God finally uh, answers him uh, and gives him a vision. He tells him really what he's going to do in, de in more detail. Uh, and he says to him, about this vision, he says, uh, uh, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. In other words, write it down and go tell everybody. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it certainly will come, and it will not delay. You know, I just finished a two-part uh, mini-course on what the rabbis know about the Messiah. And we learned that this verse is a key verse uh, in waiting for the Messiah, that waiting for the Messiah is actually a mitzvah. Uh, and there's a lot of emphasis on waiting for, actively anticipating and waiting for the Messiah. Uh, and in this verse, it says that it's going to happen. It's hastening toward the goal. But it might feel like it's taken a long time, but don't worry, it's not going to delay. The Messiah will come right on time. But this also uh, can be applied to the return of Yeshua, I think, that uh, when we talk about 
you know, the pouring out of the Ruach at uh, Pentecost, uh, that was not the end of the end. Uh, as Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, uh, the receiving of the Ruach is like a down payment of, of the Olam Haba of the world to come. And so just like Habakkuk, uh, we have covenant relationship with God. We have the Holy Spirit, but we still have this life to live, right? Uh, and so we look forward to that day. And Messiah is indeed returning, and he will indeed come. Even if it seems like it's taken a long time, right? He will not delay. But then we read that God tells the prophet, In the meantime, behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But then it says, but the righteous will live by his faith, or the righteous will live in faithfulness. So basically, God is saying, you know, uh, the vision is going to be fulfilled. Habakkuk, I'm going to visit uh, Jerusalem. Uh, there's going to be uh, discipline, but there's also going to be deliverance. That's what God is telling him. But in the meantime, live faithfully. In the meantime, live faithfully. See? And then God gives him the rest of chapter 2 is the vision of the destruction of the Babylonians, the judgment of the Babylonians. Now, at the very end of chapter 2, in the last verse, it says, But the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. That's actually the first verse of the Haftorah for the second day of Shavuot. But the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. It kind of is like the buck stops here. You know, uh, God is going to discipline Israel. He's going to judge the Chaldeans. He's going to judge the Babylonians. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. In other words, he's the judge of all the earth. Then we have chapter 3. And chapter 3 is a poem uh, that uh, begins with, it says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, uh, according uh, to Shigionath. Now, nobody knows what that means exactly, but it's a psalm. It's like one of the psalms. Uh, it even has, uh, you know, the instructions at the beginning, the superscription. Then it says, Lord, I have heard the report about thee, and I fear. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. It's a great verse. He's saying, I have heard the report about you, and, I, and I'm in awe. In other words... Uh, Habakkuk is saying, I know, Lord, I, I have rehearsed your the things that you've done over the years, how powerful you are, and that you are the judge of heaven and earth, and I am in awe. And then he says, revive your work in the midst of the years. Do it again, Lord. We need another visitation. Do it again. Uh, and he's going now to remember the events of Mount Sinai and the deliverance at the hands of the Midianites. Uh, two very powerful moments where God showed up, right? Uh, and so he's saying, Lord, we need it again. God, show up. Uh, and of course, God was always present. But of course, he's saying a visitation, a deliverance. And, you know, it's important for us uh, to remember the great things that God has done. So on Shavuot, 
We need to remember the great thing that God has done. That's why we read from Acts chapter 2. The great thing that God has done in Messiah Yeshua historically. Uh, we need to think of ourselves as being there at that mountain when the Ruach was poured out. Just as, uh, as Jewish people, uh, we think of being at Sinai. Uh, we need to always think of ourselves as, as being present at Sinai. Uh, for the receiving of the Torah, that we have received the Torah. Uh, and so, uh, when uh, uh, as Messiah followers, uh, we need to think of ourselves as being right there in Acts chapter 2, receiving the Ruach. And we need to remember that event. And remembering that, remembering the great work that God has done, certainly will help us uh, in whatever trial or issue we may be in. And so Habakkuk says, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Lord, be merciful, he says. Be merciful toward us, Lord. Uh, he's afraid. He knows that judgment is coming. The point here is, is that there is an uncertain future. There's an uncertain future. And even for us ourselves, even we as uh, Messiah followers. <clears throat> we do not necessarily look forward to a judgment, but the future is uncertain, right? Our immediate future, the future is always uncertain. Uh, but you may have uh, issues going on in your life that, that make it particularly uncertain. Uh, and of course, with uh, our current situation, uh, we don't know exactly what's going to be. We hear all kinds of things. And so uh, uh, th there's some uncertainty there. Uh, and it can really uh, cause uh, anxiety for us. And so even though we're celebrating Shavuot, we might not be in a joyful uh, mood. And so we need to remember, we need to rehearse the great things that God has done. We need to say them and maybe say them out loud. Uh, and that's what Habakkuk is talking about. And then he says, Lord, show us mercy. Uh, and so I think it would be a good idea for us, uh, perhaps, to think about moments in our lives when God is blessed. Maybe when we came to faith in Messiah, Yeshua. Our own personal Shavuot experience, we might call it. Uh, or other moments, other great moments, uh, you know, in our lives. Uh, we can also read... In the scriptures, a passage like Psalm 100, uh, 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Right? Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And so we need to read those kinds of passages and be encouraged. We need to remember that we are seated in heavenly places with Messiah Yeshua. We need to remember that we have the Ruach, that we are a called people, that we are, as a, as a Messianic community, a holy nation and a kingdom of priests, right? Uh, a kingdom of intercessors a kingdom of spiritual leaders, we might say. Uh, and that is a great calling that we have and an empowerment that we have. Let us not be defined by the problems in our lives. Let us be defined by who we are in Messiah, 
that royal priesthood, that holy nation. That's who you are in Messiah Yeshua. Uh, and so uh, Habakkuk will now read or write about all the different things God has done. And when he comes down uh, to verse, we'll say verse, 15, verse 16, he now says, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones. And in my place, I trembled because I must wait patiently or quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. Now, that doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound like something I should be reading on a holiday. It doesn't sound like, uh, you know, like the crescendo of a, one of the great Psalms in the Bible of remembering all the great things that God has done. But you see, that's the thing. That's what's so compelling about Habakkuk and what's so compelling about this passage uh, is that he remembers the great things that God has done, see, uh, and he knows his current situation. So his current situation is one that he knows a visitation of God is coming and it's not going to be pleasant. He, re he remembers the power of God. He's a human being like all of us, right? Now, as we'll see, this is not the end of the psalm, but he does tremble and he must wait patiently for the Lord. It's not in his control. Isn't that interesting? There's nothing that he can do to make it better. And that's often very frustrating for us, isn't it? Uh, we, we like to make things better. But you see here, there was nothing he could do to make it better. It says, I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. So he knows what's coming. He knows the Chaldeans are coming. And he knows that God is going to discipline them. He knows that God loves them, but he's going to discipline them. And then he'll deal with the with the Chaldeans. He resigns himself uh, uh, to that fact. And friends, I think it's important for us to understand that we cannot control everything that takes place in our lives, even though we may try to. No, this is where trusting God comes in. What we do is live faithfully every day. That's what we're called to do. Just like it says, the just shall live faithfully. That's what we do. You know, there's another passage, I won't turn to it, but it's in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29. That's where it says the secret things belong to God, but he's told you what to do. That is to live faithfully. Uh, and we see that here. And so as we live just each day, walk faithfully with God, all we can control is our actions in that way, right? Uh, and so we see that here, this man of God, a man who remembers the outgoing of the land of Egypt, a man who is a godly man, he, he is having here now a problem uh, in uh, his uh, life, uh, and he is trembling, uh, and he is experiencing anxiety and waiting. But again, it's not the end of the psalm. It's not the end of the book. He goes on to say, 
Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the field produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, he has made my feet like hinds feet, and makes me walk in my high places. He's saying, I have an assurance. This is when Peter talks about joy unspeakable. When he talks about joy unspeakable. That's what it is. It's like this um, inward trust in God that can't completely be articulated or explained. And it's a cultivated walk with God. And it comes by remembering who we are in the Messiah. Remembering the ascension of Messiah. Remembering the pouring out of the Ruach. Remembering that he is our king and we serve him alone. Remembering that uh, he will never leave us or forsake us no matter what happens. Habakkuk knew that God was not uh, far away. See, now... He had this assurance that God was nearby, even though it was going to be a difficult time. And so on Shavuot, that's what we remember as well. We remember uh, the Ruach in our uh, lives, uh, uh, but we are concerned about the issues of our lives, but we need to remember these things. Now, this should remind us there is a passage in the book of Romans, that really speaks to this, and we mention it once in a while, periodically. It's in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18, this could be Habakkuk speaking, really. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time, 8.18, this is uh, Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not, to, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. You know, uh, let me pause there for a moment. When he talks about the pains of childbirth, do you know that in the Talmud, the days just preceding the coming of the Messiah is called the Travai of the Messiah? like the birth pangs of the Messiah. Uh, you know, the Talmud and the Bible talk about difficult times just before the Messiah comes, right? Or just before he makes an, a second appearance again. Uh, and uh, it's called the birth pangs of the Messiah. And so here Paul says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves 
having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Kind of like Habakkuk, waiting, waiting for the visitation from God, waiting for the consummation, waiting for it all to happen. Uh, and he says, even we ourselves groan, just like Habakkuk, groaning, right? Waiting for the visitation uh, from God. And here he says, I, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the birth pangs, the, the pains of childbirth together until now. It's as if I, the, uh, all of the trials and tribulations of this life are like labor pains of a new birth, you know, of uh, the consummation of the coming of the Messiah. But may I suggest that uh, perhaps Paul is also saying that, you, you know, that uh, even in our lives right now, we experience maybe difficulties, groanings, right, uh, labor pains. But may I suggest that oftentimes in our lives, God does bring deliverance. He does bring relief. He does bring new birth. Yeah, sometimes a vision has to die for a new one to be born, you know? And so whatever it is that you are experiencing, remember that there is a rebirth of life, you know? Uh, and that uh, uh, you are seated in heavenly places with the Messiah. The Ruach lives in you. So be encouraged. Your life is not just what you see. Your life is not just the sum of what you see around you. Know that there is an unseen aspect to your life. There is an unseen realm, a part of your life uh, that you need to recognize, that we all need to recognize. Uh, you are seated in heavenly places. I keep saying it so that we'll get it, right? Uh, and so that even though we experience these pains waiting for the consummation, we can get through it. Because we know indeed what is coming. Deliverance is coming. Uh, and it is interesting when you go back to Habakkuk, when you look at those last three verses here. Though the fig tree should not blossom and be, be, there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the field produce no food, Though the flock should be cut off in the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. He's saying, even if I lose everything. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, even if everything is a failure, uh, even if nothing produces, even if my pockets are empty, even if I have unmet expectations, even if I have regrets, even if I have remorse, like no fruit on the vines, no food in the fields. I've worked hard and I have nothing to show for it. I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. That is joy unspeakable. That is a joy that can only come from God. It's like a supernatural thing. It's like living out Shavuot every day. You know? Uh, of uh, remembering our receiving the Ruach. And perhaps we need a fresh anointing of the Ruach 
uh, in our lives today, even right now. Like we need uh, another uh, another Pentecost. We need uh, 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 another time of the pouring out of the, the Ruach uh, so that I can have that joy. Well, you can have uh, that joy when he says here, uh, the Lord God is my strength. We talked about that, about that being part of the ascension of Yeshua, that God is our strength, right? Uh, that when I am weak, then I am strong. And that in him you are strong, you are seated in the place of power at the right hand of the Father, right? And he's saying, God is my strength and I have a firm footing even in a precarious place. And friends, may that be true for you and I. Uh, may we stand firm. May we stand firm, uh, as the Bible says, against the schemes of the devil. May we stand firm against trials and tribulations. May we stand firm, stand firm not by simply picking ourselves up by the bootstraps uh, or by our rugged individualism. No, but by leaning on each other uh, and, uh, and relying on one another for us to be able to get through every day, to pray for one another, to intercede for one another, to talk to one another, to encourage one another. Uh, that's what we need to be doing. Uh, and on Shavuot, we celebrate the ability to do that. We celebrate the uh, relationship that we have with God and with each other. We celebrate the Ruach. We celebrate covenant relationship. We celebrate the Chesed, the loving kindness uh, that we receive in our, the mutual blessing of blessing one another. Uh, and that's really what Shavuot is all about. And so I pray uh, that uh, for us, it really is a time of thankfulness and of moving forward. You know, going back to the agricultural meaning of the holiday, the two loaves that are offered to God, in a way, prophetically, it's a picture of the kihilah, of the community of believers being offered up to God, uh, one might say. Uh, and sometimes, just looking at it as a type, you have two loaves, right? Two loaves baked with leaven, like one in Messiah, uh, in, in a Messianic Jewish community, Jew and Gentile together, one in Messiah, each maintaining our personal uh, ethnicities and identities, whatever that may be, you know, uh, but one in Messiah. And we are indeed a wave offering uh, uh, to the Lord. And may we live that way. Uh, and may on Shavuot, uh, may it help us, you know, to just remember that. Shavuot is like an ending and it's a beginning. It's the ending of the 50 days. So we celebrate the end of the counting of the Omer. But it is the beginning because like we're leaving Sinai, you know, and going out into the wilderness. So in other words, uh, when we come to Shavuot, it's like an ending and a beginning. Uh, we receive the Ruach. Yes, we've been redeemed. We've walked our 50 days. We've done our reading. We, we are celebrating the Ruach. It's like an ending. But a beginning because it's a rejuvenation. It's a restoration. It's like a new day, like another new birth uh, for us. And uh, may, may we remember that. And may we rejoice in it. And so let's pray. 
Lord God, thank you, God, for a Shavuot. Thank you for the Feast of Weeks. Thank you for the Torah. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us the Torah, a way of loving you. Uh, Lord, thank you that in your word you say in Deuteronomy chapter 10, what does the Lord ask us to do? And that is to love you and to keep your word. Thank you, Lord, that, that you lift up your countenance on us and you give us your peace when we walk in your way. May we always walk in the way of the Lord. And now that we have the Ruach, uh, thank you, Lord, that you have empowered us to really live that way. Uh, and you've given us a new intimacy and a new identity. Old things have indeed passed away. Lord, may that be a real reality in our lives. And I pray that we might be like Habakkuk, that we might uh, really uh, remember who you are, remember what you've done, remember uh, who we are in you, and that might encourage us even in the darkest of days, even when we're trembling and even when we're scared. Lord, may we remember that we can rejoice in you, Lord. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are indeed our strength, and you have made our feet like hinds' feet, and you make us walk in high places. Lord, uh, may we not be uh, afraid, Lord. May we place our trust in you, God. Lord, uh, as we look at our world I don't know if we could say we're optimistic, but we're really hopeful. Lord, uh, we're able to rejoice because our hope is in you. Optimism is based on circumstances, and Lord, it doesn't always look optimistic. But our hope is in you, and so we can rejoice. And whatever comes our way, Lord, we'll keep moving forward one day at a time. We will walk faithfully every day, Lord. And we do look forward indeed, God, to that day, to that day of consummation in you. Lord, we thank you and we pray in Messiah's name.